so much of our lives. It affects where you live, the vacations you can or cannot take, where your kids go to school, the clothes you can wear, how much you can give. It really, it's a big deal. And, and statistics show that 80% of people in America struggle uh, with their finances. They're in a hole or a rut with their finances. So, so we're going we're gonna to talk about this a little bit. Uh, let me just show you some, let me just give you a snapshot of where America is currently uh, with finances. They'll put these on the screen real quick. Um, um, currently, Americans owe about $931 billion in credit card debt, which comes out roughly to about $16,000 per household. More than 44 million Americans collectively hold about $1.5 trillion. And student loans debt, upon graduation, the average student borrower has about $37,000 in student loans. 42% of Americans will retire completely broke. In other words, that uh, when they reach retirement age, many people, 42%, have nothing saved for retirement. 65% of Americans admit to losing sleep over financial concerns. 59% of Americans say that money trouble led to their divorce. And 78% of Americans who work full-time jobs are living from paycheck to paycheck. In other words, if they don't get their next paycheck, they're not going to be able to buy food or any of the essentials in life. And, and uh, you know, I tell you what, as a pastor, and I know many of you, many of you are personal friends, you know, I don't want any of that for any of the people that I know, for any of our people. I believe that God, he does want to bless us. He wants to bless us in every way, not just financially, but it's very important that we learn how to handle what God gives us. Very, so important. So, you know, here, here's what I believe. I believe people are working really hard. I believe people want to turn things around. I believe people want to be generous. Uh, I've had some people tell me, man, Pastor, I want to give. I'm just so strapped financially. We're so tight financially that I can't even afford to give like I really want to, that I know that God uh, really wants me to. So let me tell you um, one of my pet peeves. If you're new around here, I'm, I'm kind of a straight shooter, uh, and I, we're, just, we're just honest. You need to be honest. You need to be honest. We should be honest in church. Amen. And sometimes we come to church, and church is the one place where the least honest. Uh-oh. So, yeah, the person sitting next to me, they don't look honest at all. At all, I'm telling you. But, um, so one of my pet peeves is when somebody tells me to do something, but they don't tell me how to do it. I mean, you know, that, doesn't that make you mad? You go to, you have a teacher in school, and they're telling you to study for a test, but they don't tell you what to study, how to study. And we do that a lot. We do that a lot. And I think the church has been guilty of that a lot. My profession, pastors. I've heard pastors get up there and say, you need to give, you need to do this, you need to be generous, you need to do this. And they never tell you how. They never tell you how. And so uh, I'm really big on that. I will never ask our congregation to do something unless, uh, first of all, I'm doing it and I, and I teach you how to do it, you know. Uh, you don't just tell somebody, you need to grow in your walk with the Lord. You've got to tell them how. How do you read the Bible? How do you pray? You know, how do you get involved in a small group? And so, this is kind of a how-to how series, uh, a, a how-to series. And so, the good news here, family life, where to us, the most important thing we want to do is we want to help people. And so, if you are struggling with your finances, twice a year, twice a year, we offer a, a nine-week professional financial course right here. And if you don't have the money to take it, it's about $100. We'll scholarship you to do it. And we've had hundreds of families in our church go through that class. And, and it helped them a lot. As a matter of fact, I was talking to a guy this week. And um, 
he just told me, man, pastor, I, I, I had like a bunch of credit cards, and we had $25,000 in credit card debt. And I took that class a few months ago, and we've already paid off four credit cards and $15,000. $10,000 left to go by Christmas will be debt-free. Come on, that's good news, right? And so what I, what I want you to know, what I want you to know is there is always hope. There is always hope. You never mess up enough. Uh, you never get outside of God's reach and help for your life. But sometimes we have to make some change. So when I'm talking about finances uh, in this series, you know, I'm never going to, we have done everything we can at Family Life to where we don't have to talk about money. We have offering boxes out there in the back. We don't pass, we don't pass collection plates. And I, we do that because, of course, we teach our members to tithe and give. When I started this church a number of years ago, one of the main things, I did all these surveys with people that don't go to church. And they said, we hate, I went to church one time, and they were raising money to buy a piano. Or, you know, just things like that. And so I, we've done everything we can at Family Life to downplay finances because I want to have the ability to teach on it. I don't want you, I'm not teaching so you give more. If you get your finances in order, you can give more, and we all should give. But that, my, my reason is, I don't, some of you here, you're, in, you're upside down financially. You're in a bad shape financially. It's causing stress in your life, in your marriage, and everything, and we want to help you. And so if you missed last week, you can go to our website and listen to the first one. I think it was very important, and we'll move on, we'll move on today. So let's, let's look at, we're going to start with Haggai. Some of you may, I've been a Christian a long time, I have never read the book of Haggai. So we're going to give you a little Haggai this morning. A little Haggai, hope from Haggai. It says this, Haggai 1, 5 through 7. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages, only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Now, that's not just talking to the ladies, guys. Back in, back in these days, they had little purses, too, and, and there wasn't nothing funny about it back then, okay? It was a normal way of living. And it, but it says this. This is what the Lord Almighty says, again, at the end. Give careful thought to your ways. So here's the thing. If you're going to solve a problem in your life, any problem, any problem, you have to change your thinking. That's the main thing. If you never change your thinking... You'll never, you'll never resolve that problem. If you have a problem in your marriage, you've got to start thinking differently. You have a problem in your career, you've got to start thinking differently. You have, don't have very much faith, you want to increase your faith. You have to change the way uh, that, you, that you think. So if you don't like what you're getting out of life, you need to change your thinking. Look what Billy Graham says, of course, the incredible man of God who died last year. It says, if a, he says, if a person gets their attitude toward money right, it will help straighten out almost every area of their lives. Isn't that funny? When we get our finances together, if we're organized in that area, it helps us to be more diligent and disciplined in other areas. And then I have another, a quote from another great thinker, Albert Einstein. That's a good-looking guy right there. I tried to get a picture of his hair everywhere, but I couldn't find one with this quote. But he, he says this, you cannot solve, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. Come on now. So if you have a financial problem, your thinking got you there. 
and you've got to do something different. Whatever area of your life you have a trouble in, you've got to change your thinking in that area. I'm so shocked sometimes that people, they're not doing good in the area, and you try to help them, give them some advice, and they don't want to listen to anybody. Like, bro, sister, you're in trouble. Please listen to somebody. Listen to somebody. So when I planned this message, this was, I planned this series, you know, several months ago, planned out four messages, and this was supposed to be a, a, a debt, a debt message, how to get out of debt, how to keep from getting into debt, but, you know, these past few weeks, I've been helping people with different problems, and so it really, I really started thinking. I know some of you here, your finances are in trouble, but some of you here, your finances are fine. You're having, you're having, maybe having trouble with, with immorality, you're having trouble with an addiction, you're having trouble in your marriage, you're having trouble in your career. And so I started thinking, going through the Bible, and you know what I found? What, I, what I've discovered in counseling with people, the reason why we get into trouble is always the same for every area. And how to get out of trouble or difficulty is always the same as well. Isn't that funny? You can have trouble in your marriage, in your career, in your finances, and you did the same things to get in that problem. And so we're going we're to look at two things today. First of all, we have to discover why we're in trouble. How do we get in trouble? And then we need to discover how do we get out of trouble. So today, hopefully that will help you this morning. Um, and let's look at this real quick. The, I, I've titled it The Way Out. And so here's the deal. To find the way out of problems, you first have to discover why or how you got into them in the first place. So self-awareness, becoming self-aware of how you got to where you are, it is, is key, it's vital in, in getting out of your problem. Uh, you know, I was talking with this person that led, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, and they said they will not let anyone in AA unless they first admit they have a problem. Because if you don't admit that you have a problem, uh, you'll never get better. And so, but here's one step better, not just to realize that we have a problem, but to realize why, why do we have that problem? Why do we get here? How do we get here? So we can avoid it in the future, and then how do we, how do we get out of it? So I want to look, uh, you know, so basically what I'm saying this morning, no matter if you have financial problems, marriage problems, whatever your problems are, you got there by going down a path. And we're going to learn how to back out of that path today. And so what I want to do is I want to talk, look at a very popular story this morning, the story of the prodigal son found in Luke 15. And we're going to use it as the vehicle to give you a formula for finding your way out of every situation. And so many of you have probably read this a hundred times. And sometimes we read scripture, but we don't really think about what we're reading. So we're going to look at this in depth and we're going to discover why are we in this dark place? Why are we in this difficult situation where we're going to discover a way out? It says this, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And I want to stop right there and say what the younger son is really saying right here, what he's really saying is, Father, I wish you were dead. Because if you were dead, I could receive my inheritance now. As it is, I have to wait many years, many years for you to die, and I want my inheritance now. Now think about that. That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty arrogant and rude, is it not? 
I mean, the dad, the dad, and we see this dad accommodates him, but the dad could have said, how about, how about you just get nada? How about you get a goose egg and I give it to the other son? Maybe he should have, but he wanted to teach him a lesson. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. Now, I want to put this, the wild living doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter how or why he squandered his wealth, but he did. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the land. And here's what I want to say to you this morning. There will always at some time be a famine in your life. There will always at some point there's going to be a famine in your life. So you need to live life today in a way that you have a little extra so that when the day of famine comes, I mean, you wouldn't believe how many times in our church someone comes to me and said, man, pastor, I lost my job. I've been working there for 25 years. I thought I was going to work there until I retired, and one day I come in, I get a pink slip, I'm gone, laid off. So there will always be a famine in our lives. Let me tell you something about this. God uses the famines in our lives to get our attention and to help us. This young man, this prodigal son, is going to learn a lesson that he could not have learned any other way. He gets what he wants. His father gives him all of his money. He loses it all. And then he ends up coming back to the father, repenting. And he realizes he realized that what I, what I thought could make me happy, in reality it couldn't. And then it goes on to say this. So, you know... In that country, you know, there's a famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Here's the next principle. When you follow the world's way of doing things, you will always end up in a pig pen. You always end up in a pig pen. You always end up in a place that you never thought you would be, that you never wanted to be. And uh, then he, he said, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods of food that the pigs had, that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now, I was thinking about this story, and, uh, you know, my family, we have some dogs, you know, we have some old dogs, and, and uh, you know, their food's there on the floor, and we, we feed them, and, you know, I was wondering, how hungry would you have to be to wish you could eat some animal food? I mean, I've come in sometimes at 5 in the evening, and I hadn't eaten anything all day. I didn't, didn't have time to eat. And, and, like, I'm really hungry, but I never thought the, dog, the dog's food is, is the closest thing to me. I just can't. I, I mean, think, think about how hungry this man was. Well, we think, you, you just think you're hungry. I see you looking at your, your phones and your watch when I get toward the end and want to go to lunch. You're not really hungry is what I'm trying to say. So, anyway, so the... So we see this incredible story, um, and when you look at the progression of this story, it's the same progression that gets all of us in trouble for whatever reason uh, we end up getting in trouble uh, in our marriage, family, money, whatever. The first thing is this, we believe a lie. The first step to going down the wrong road, we believe a lie. We believe, we believe that something will help us that in reality won't. The prodigal son believed that money would make him happy. If he could get away from his father's family, I'd get away from my brother, I don't like him, get away from my dad, I'd do my own thing, have my inheritance while I'm young. 
He thought that would make him happy. In reality, it didn't. And so our enemy, the devil, listen to this, church. The devil has one strategy, one strategy to use against you. He lies to you. He tells you to believe something that isn't the truth. You won't believe how many Christians I meet. I listen to them talking. I hear things come out of their mouth, and I'm like, yeah, but that's not biblical. That's not right. You have bought in the lie of the devil. And every time you believe a lie, when you believe something, when you take something that's not true and swallow it as truth, it leads you. It's the first step in the progression to ending up in a really bad place. You know, we're going through life, and, and uh, maybe, maybe a lady in here, or maybe, maybe a lady says, man, look, look at that man over there. Look at the way he acts. Look at the way he treats people. That's a lot better than my husband does. You say, but Terry, that's not a lie. Well, it's an example, okay? It's an example. It's, but the lie is this. The lie is the devil tells you that person would make you happy. If you're not happy, another person won't do it, right? You know, a, a, a guy that says, man, look at that lady over there. Look, she's so pretty. And the, and the devil, see, the devil always makes you think the grass is greener on the other side, but he doesn't tell you that the water bill's a lot higher. There's always a consequence for our actions. And the devil lies to us and he tells us things will make us happy when nothing in the world but Jesus can really truly satisfy our lives. Another person can't, money can't, things can't, possessions, possessions, you know, can't. But he tells us a lie, you know. You know maybe you took the Dave Ramsey class. He said, you know, Dave Ramsey says that credit cards are bad. I got nine of them and I'm fine. Until the day of reckoning comes, right? Until they're all maxed out. Have you noticed, have, but the devil's good at this. Have you noticed all the beer commercials? And I'm not picking on you if you drink beer, but, you know, all the beer commercials are people having fun. It's peace. There's harmony. There's fellowship. But it doesn't show you the picture of broken homes. It doesn't show you the picture of people who are in jail for something they did while they were intoxicated that they would have never have done if they weren't. And so there's just a lot of lies out there. And think about it, the commercials. How many of the commercials are built on a lie? They're built, yeah, they're, they're, they're built, they're built on a lie, you know? I'll never forget this. A, a, a couple of years ago, we had a billboard out here on Highway 6. And I was really discouraged one day because I drove in and the two billboards in front of us they got changed, and they were like of half-naked women. wasn't good. One of my elders came in and said, Terry, this is great news. Guys, we look up there, you know, and it's like, it's like, lust, lust, Jesus right there. We're going to bring people into church. Sin, sin, there's Jesus right there. Okay, okay, let's move right on. If, but if you think about it, there are a lot of lies re- related to life. There's a lot of lies when it relates to money. There's a lot of lie in how you should handle your finances that are simply not true. So I want to prove this. So look at this. There was a, a, a survey a few years ago. It was called The Day America Told the Truth. And the answer to the question was, what would you be willing to do for $10 million? And so this is what people said. 25% of people would abandon their entire family for $10 million. Some of you are thinking, I'd do it for free. <laughs> okay, okay. 
That's pretty bad, though. That's pretty bad. I'm going to leave my family for money, right? That's what the prodigal son did. He took a lot of money. His dad was wealthy. He took a lot of money. I don't want to see. Isn't it funny at the end, at the end of the story when he was in bad shape, the first person he was so glad to see was his dad. Come on now. And Okay, let's go on. 23% would become a prostitute for a week or more for $10 million. We have some problems with money, folks. Uh, 16% would give up their American citizenship. Probably much more after the 2016 election, huh? <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. Um, 10% would, would withhold testimony letting a murderer go free. I didn't see nothing, man. It gets worse. Look at this. 7% would kill a stranger. I don't know. I'll take him out. I don't know that person. Doesn't bother me a bit. For $10 million, right? Uh, 3% would put their kids up for adoption. All of y'all are moaning and groaning. You know there's days you'd give them away for free. Come on now. But this is a problem, right? I mean, this is, would you, I, the whole week after I read that, I was like, God, dear Jesus, please tell me no one from Family Life took this, took this survey. Please tell me that. But at the end of the day, you know, at the end of the day, what this shows us is that we've become self-absorbed. It becomes all about us and us being fulfilled and us getting what we want. That was the prodigal son. He became self-absorbed. And you could, you could even say um, self-absorbed really mean, means that we get to a place where we're very prideful. So we believe a lie because pride sets into our life. The, the, the prodigal son became very prideful. I don't need them. I don't need my family. I don't need this farm. All I need is money. And I'm going to go and I'm going to do my own thing. I know better. And I'm going to end up happier. And that life actually broke him. Broke him beyond pair, repair where he's wanting to eat pig slop, but no one will give him anything. Well, Proverbs 16, 18 says this, that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So here's the thing. It's before. A prideful spirit goes before we get in trouble, before we end up in a dark spot, before we sabotage ourselves, and a haughty spirit before. So part of the genius of stopping the progression of ending up in a bad place is knowing what starts it. And, and if you know the signs, you can, you can stop their downfall. So here's what I want to say. Humility. Humility will always keep you from going down the wrong road. Listen, if we have humility, if we become grateful for what we have, if we're willing to live simplistic lives, there's really not much the devil can tempt us with. See, we want more, and so we're, we're just, we're, we're open game to the devil when he tempts us with something. And so it's very, very important. Number two, so the first thing is we believe a lie. Number two, we engage in self-destructive behavior. We engage in self-destructive behavior. You know, I, again, I believe we can back ourselves out of this one as well. Uh, we engage in self-destructive behavior because we become undisciplined. We've all done this before. Have you, you ever been, you know, where you're very, very disciplined and you're doing the right things, then all of a sudden you have a bad week and in two weeks and it turns into a month and the things that you knew you needed to do you weren't, you, weren't, you weren't doing them. 
I mean, one of the common things when Christians come to me and say, man, Terry, I'm in a bad place. When we look back, you know, first of all, they believed a lie. They thought they could do it on their own. But second of all, they, they totally, they pulled away from church. They haven't been reading their Bible. They haven't been praying. They haven't been doing anything that they know that they should have done. And, and, and so whenever we become undisciplined and we let parts of our areas of our lives slide, and I'm saying this this morning because there's, some, there's many of you in here this morning, in parts of your life, you're sliding. You're on the slopes. And if you keep going down that way, you're going to end up someplace that you don't want to be. And so what I'm saying is, if we have humility, we're not going to believe the lie. We're going to focus on God's truth. If we maintain a disciplined life, spending enough time with our family, taking care of our bodies, taking care of our spiritual lives, through prayer, reading, and meditation, by joining a small group, by doing these things, we, we can, we can uh, save ourselves from a bad place. But here's what you say when you're doing self-destructive behavior. First of all, we use things like this. I don't have time. What harm could, what harm could it do? Oh, boy, those words can hurt. I just can't help myself. Listen, if you ever get into a place and you can't help yourself, you're being dominated by a spirit that's not from God. Okay? Because the spirit of God gives us the, the ability to control ourselves, and then it's not that bad. Proverbs 14, 12, it says this, there is a way of life that looks harmless. Harmless enough. Look ahead. It leads straight to hell. So we get there by doing, by, by sabotaging ourselves, self-destructive behavior. We believe alive, we engage in self-destructive behavior. The third thing in the progression is this. We isolate ourselves from those who can help. Think about the prodigal son. He isolated himself from his family. He isolated himself from God. And he's out there and he has a revelation in a pig, in a pig pen. He's in a different country. All of his friends have gone away because he has no more money. He's by himself. He's isolated. He's out there in, in a pig farm. So when we isolate ourselves, we say things like this. No one needs to know. No one needs to know. It's not anyone else's business. I can do it on my own. You wouldn't believe how many people have come to me for help. You know, make an appointment, and we come into the office, and they, they come in there, and um, they tell me what the problem is, and I'm like, you need help. Let me, let me get you with a group of men who's doing this study or whatever. You need an accountability partner. And you know what most people tell me? No, I got it. I'm, I'm good on my own. No, you're not. That's why you're in my office. You're in here because if your wife finds out, you're headed for divorce court. You're in here because you're fixing to have to file bankruptcy. You're in here because you have an addiction that's dominating your life. You need help. You need accountability. Isn't it, isn't it funny that when we believe a lie and when we start doing self-destructive behavior, the last thing we want is for other people to help us? And, and the truth is, everyone has issues. It, it really is pride. We think that we don't want someone to know about us. We're just so, we're, we're private. Well, the truth is everybody is going through life. Everybody has things that they're battling. Proverbs 18, 11, it says this, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. So the problem is that we isolate ourselves for so long before seeking help 
that it causes our situation to go from bad to terrible. So if we continue down this path of, of believing lies, engaging in self-destructive behavior, and isolating ourselves, we eventually find ourselves in the same position as the prodigal son. The prodigal son, was in a, he was in a dark place. He was, in a, he was in a dark place. And so we find ourselves in a dark place. Psalm 88, verse 8, it says this. You have made my friends to loathe me, and they have gone away. I am in a trap with no way out. I'm in a trap with no way out. Let me tell you something this morning. Some of you may be thinking, I'm in a trap. I'm in a difficult place, and there's no way out. I, I want you to know also that that is a lie. That is a lie. We serve a God that raises the dead and calls things that are not as though they are. And you are, you, you are never outside of the hope of God, the, the calling of God. And uh, if you're, you feel like you're in a dark place this morning and there's no way out, I dedicate this message to you because there is hope. There is a way out. There, you have a God that loves you and cares for you. There's always hope. So here's what the Lord would say to you this morning. Psalms 34, 18, it says, The Lord is near to those who are discouraged. He saves those who have lost all hope. That's what our God does. He reaches out to people when they're discouraged. He saves those who have lost all hope. And people may have given up on you. People may tell you there's no hope, but God never gives up on us. He, he's there for us. He's close to us. But here's what, he wants you to, here's what he wants you to do. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He will never let you be pushed beyond past your limit. He, he, he'll always be there to help you come through it. So it's never too late for God. You're never at past the point of no return. Let's look at Luke 15, verse 17 through 23, the end of the prodigal son story. It says this, when he came to his senses, when he came to his senses. So here's the question. How long will it take you and I to come to our senses? How long are we going to continue to perpetrate the lie? How long are we going to do behavior that's hurting us? How long before we, we come to our senses and realize we need to do something and he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. One of my favorite lines in the Bible. One of my favorite lines in the Bible while he was still off, his father saw him, which means his father had been waiting for him. His father, every day, would look out across his field, across his property, and see if today that was the day that his son was coming on. Let me tell you something. We have a father God who's on the front porch waiting for you. It's a lot better than Motel 6. He doesn't leave a light on for you. He waits out front for you, okay? And, and he's waiting. And You know what God is asking I wonder if today is the day that they're going to let me help them with that. I wonder if today's the day they're, going to, they're just going to admit that they have a problem and that they need me in, in their lives. Do you know that God never expected you to be perfect? We were not created to live lives with our, on ourselves. We were created to live life with God in our lives, having a relationship with Him. And, and so, but what He wants, sometimes He wants us to be honest and say, hey, I, I, I need you. And, it says his father saw him and was filled with compassion. 
he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to his father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast to celebrate. So when we find ourselves in a dark place, we have a God who's waiting for us. And so the reason we get into difficult situations, it's all the same for all of us. We believe something that's not true. We believe a lie. We engage in self-destructive behavior. We isolate ourselves. And then we end up in a place we never wanted to be. So if you find yourself in a dark, in a dark place, in any area of your life, morally, financially, in any area of your life, the way to get out is the same as well. The, the, same, the four steps, they're, they're still the same. First, here's the first thing. You have to acknowledge the reality of where you are. You have to acknowledge the reality of where you are. Most of the battle is saying, I am here because I did stupid. I am here because I made bad decisions. Uh, but you know, I was talking to a couple... Do you know, this is interesting, a lot of people won't take our financial class because they're scared of what they will find. They, have, they don't even know. They don't even know, you know, both, both husband and wife both have their own sets of credit card. I mean, they don't even know how bad it is. And you know what I've, what I've found is when people realize where they're at and realize, you know, the other set of situations is how much God loves you, how much God helps you, and they get a plan, they realize that, it, it, you know, it, it, it's not that bad. But we all have to come to a place where we say, I did it, I created this mess, mess, and God, I need you to help me. Uh, one, of the, one of my favorite psalms, of course, is Psalms 51. Uh, I always read that if I feel bad about myself, because in this, in, David is repenting for both adultery and murder in the same chapter. Yeah, the man after God's own heart, David, he, he got himself in a real, real, uh, real mess. But look what it says. It says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And look, look at the line, verse 6 in the New Living Translation. It says this, You want me to be completely truthful, so teach me wisdom. What does God want? God wants us to be completely truthful with Him. He wants us to be honest with Him. He wants us to admit that we've messed up and that, that we need Him. Psalms 32, if, if, if you know this, um, Psalms 32 is actually... The Bible's not written in chronological order, so chapter 32 is actually writ written after Psalms 51. And this is David again. Look what it says. He says, when I kept it all inside, my bones turned to powder. My words became day-long groans. The, the pressure never let up. All the juices in my life dried up. Then I let it all out. I said, I will make a clean breast of my failures to God. Suddenly the pressure was gone, my guilt was dissolved, my sin disappeared. What did, what did David say? When I tried to keep everything in, 
it just, it ate me up. When I decided to come clean and tell God, God, I'm a sinner, I've messed up, please forgive me. When I did that, when I let it out, man, the guilt went away. This, my sin went away. And, and, and so here, it's very important. At some point, we have to let out what's in there. You're holding it in, it's eating you up. You have to come to God and just, he already knows, but he wants us to, he wants us to acknowledge it. So we have to realize where we're at, acknowledge the reality of where we are. But you know something else I realized is that this is very important. If you're taking notes in your bulletin, just write this down. Write that feelings are never enough. Your feelings are never enough. It, does, it doesn't do any good to come to church and have feelings and not do anything about it. It doesn't, mat- doesn't matter if you have a conversation with God and have all these feelings in your prayer time, but you don't do anything with it. At some point, you have to take action. And, and that's what the prodigal son did. He has this revelation in the pig pen. What, I'm starving, and my father's workers have more food than they can eat. I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back and ask him if I can be one of his hired hands. And so he, he did something. He walked back home. And, and, and his father met him there, and God will, God will meet us there. But you know what? God wants us to develop a plan of attack. He wants us, okay, if you're having trouble with your finances, what are you going to do to make it any different? Are you going to just keep doing the same thing day after day and asking God to help you? You know, if your marriage is in trouble, what are you going to do to make it better? What are you going to do if, if your career isn't going well? What are you going to do? You're going to go to school, go back to school. What do you? We have see some action. What happens is, let's say we're right here. We have a big problem, and God is right there. And when we come to God and say, I, I, "Listen, I want you to forgive me. I need help." And when we start doing something, God just, God partners with us. God wants to see that we're serious. We're serious about this. Now, now I want I want you to understand something. The prodigal's plan wasn't very good. His plan was, I'm, I, he, he rehearsed this line. I, I mean, I have to be convincing because I know dad's going to be mad at me. I mean, I threw all that in his face. And I said, I, said a lot of, I said a lot of things when I left that on hindsight I probably shouldn't have said, right? And so I've got to come, I've got to have this memorized. There has to be some emotion, I like, he sees his dad, father, listen, I'm not, I'm not worthy to be your son. I'm not worthy. You know, the, the truth is, none of us are worthy of what God has given us. But he loved us enough anyway, he made a way where we could become worthy through, through Jesus Christ. So his plan wasn't the best, but the thing is, he did something. When you start taking action, even if your plan isn't the best, you'll at least start going that way, and you can learn, you can learn some things along, along the line. Proverbs 21.5, it says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. So the plans of the diligent, the plans of people who do something, they're always beneficial. The third thing is, 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 is do it now. Do it now. I, y'all are probably a lot like me. You see, when it's Friday and I know I need to start eating better, it's always Monday. Monday, Monday is going to be a different day, but Saturday and Sunday, they're going down in the record books. 
I got a side of beef on the grill, right, you know? Isn't it always funny that we're always going to wait till Monday? We're always going to wait till Friday. We're always going to wait till the first of the year. We're always going to wait till the middle of the month. We're always, and what I want to say is this, is if the Lord is talking to your heart this morning, today is the day. Today is the day. Today is the day to acknowledge. Today is the day to do something. 2 Corinthians 6, 2, it says, As I tell you, now is the time of the Lord's favor. Now is the day of, 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 of salvation. So today, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Then, of course, the last, the last thing you have to do is, is humbly ask your Father for help. We have to get to a place where we say, God, I need your help. Again, listen, I tell people this all the time, and, and I don't know if I have a hard time expressing how important it is. But all the time, humility, humility is an incredible thing in our lives. I mean, if you walk in humility, it means you forgive the faults of other people. If you walk in humility, it means you listen to people. The person that spends time on his face in humility toward God praying will never be brought low. Humility is a key. And so what I'm going to tell you today is you may have some pride and you may need to lose your pride. That pride is keeping you from God. That pride is keeping you from God's best in your life. We have, to, we, have to, we have to humble ourselves before God. 1 Peter 5, verse 5 through 7, it says this. God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Would you stand with me this morning? Would you just close your eyes with me for a minute? I want to ask you a question, and, you know, I, I hope, that, hope that you'll be honest with yourself and God this morning. Just with everyone's eyes closed, how many of you would, would just raise your hand to God, not to me, to God, and say, God, I've painted myself in a dark place. I, I'm, I ended up in a dark place because I, I believed the lie. I made terrible decisions. I isolated myself. Trust you those hands. And I, I just, I want to pray for you. I just, this morning, I want you to have hope. We've talked about how we get there, and hopefully if you're not in a dark place, you can learn from that. But the way out is just to recognize where you're at and, and just humble yourself before God and say, God, I need to take action and I need you to, to help me. Father God, we come before you today. And Lord, I know with this many people in the room, God, I know there's people that are struggling with all kinds of things in life. And God, there's some people here this morning who think, who may think that they're out of, they're, they're out of your reach for help, God. They may think that their situation is impossible. But God, we know this morning that you love us and you care for us. And when we reach out to you, 
you help us through things. So God, I just pray right now for hope. I pray for hope this morning to fill this auditorium. God, I pray that people would, would find avenues. God, maybe it's joining a small group here at church. Maybe it's whatever it is. They would find avenues to help them get out of the isolated situation that they're in. Maybe you're here this morning and maybe you, maybe you just feel far from God. You may be here and you may, you may have never given your life to the Lord. But you know, you know the, the, the interesting thing is, is it doesn't matter how far you are from God. It doesn't matter if you ha don't have a relationship with God. Your one admission in the building, walking into a relationship with Him. All we have to do is ask Him. I want to I say a prayer this morning. Are there any here this morning who would say, man, Pastor Terry, I, I need Jesus in my life. God, we just, we thank you today. Lord, we need you in our life, God. We're in desperate need of you in our lives. This morning, God, we come before you. And God, all the problems that are perhaps people are struggling with, whether it's financial, whether it's their marriage, their children, their careers, addictions. God, we give those to you this morning. We pray for the strength. We pray for the strength to help them. God, I just pray they would receive hope this morning. I pray they would be encouraged this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, listen, I we're so glad you joined us this morning. If it's your first time, I, I believe I forgot to say, in our, in our bulletin that you received, there's a connection card. And I would love to learn your name. I'd love to send you a thank you card for coming. If you would fill that out and put that in the, uh, the offering box, that would be awesome. Would love, to, would love to get to know you a little bit. I'll be out there in the foyer talking to people. Guys, some of the guys, if you would help us stack up these chairs. We have open gym there in the week and stack space. That would be awesome. Would you raise your hands? I'm going to pray for you this morning. God, I just pray. Well, we're in covenant with you, Father God, and that we have benefits in our lives. So I just pray in Jesus' name for your blessings to be upon our lives. God, bless us in our homes and bless us at work. Keep us safe and protect us as we go through life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.